Hi, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Today we're taking a trip back to an Instagram live stream that I did with Jason Gatliff of Muzzleloader Magazine. Over about two hours, we answered a ton of questions about muzzleloading, living history, traditional crafts, as well as just some <laughs> submitted questions about historical theories and questions about who would win in some kind of barroom brawl. It's a little bit more of a casual episode in between some of our longer form interview podcasts, but there were a lot of requests to be able to see or hear the episode played back later. I thought the podcast was a good place to do that. Thanks again. We'll catch you after the show. Good evening, everybody. How are y'all doing? Man, they're popping in. This is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about Blackhorn. I got asked about Blackhorn here and it's gonna, I don't know, especially with um, I don't know. I, the fact that it's manufactured in Canada, it's just kind of, I think it makes it kind of funky for everybody. So I don't know. It's a real bummer. I mean, I don't shoot a lot of the modern stuff, but the uh, anything but black horn is kind of a pain in the butt. I'd rather shoot real black powder. How often? Yeah, I only shoot real black <laughs> That's powder. That's right. Yeah. yeah you're, you're, you're the real deal, Jason. <laughs> how often do you resharp? How often do you resharpen your flint, Jason? It depends. I mean, you know, there's no set thing. You know, I might get 20 shots. I might get 100. When it stops yeah. sparking up, I, I resharpen it. I'm happy. This past this past year, I did a uh, I did a 40 shot woods walk at my house uh, on on my range with one flint, and then I took that flint to friendship and I shot the woods walk down there twice. On my third round of that woods walk, I had to replace my flint. Um, so that was upwards of 75 or so shots in total off of that flint. Um, if you get a good, good one, for me, it just kind of runs, which is really nice because when it does, you don't have to think about anything. You just keep going. Yeah, I don't think there's a, a set ratio. Every 10 shots, you need to nap or anything. As long as it's sparking, keep running it. Yeah, and if it's starting to give you trouble, then that's the time to start. It's time to swap it. Do you have to the outside of a powder horn to protect protect it over time also can i leave powder in my horn year round that's a great question caleb i don't personally treat the outside with anything and i do leave powder in all year round and the only thing that i've heard as far as protection goes is they want to keep them in the light to keep in, in like sunlight to keep bugs off of them but I don't know if that's a, an environment thing, you know, depends on where you're at or not, but I always try to keep stuff where I can see it. I'm kind of walking around it anyway. So what do you think, Jason? Yeah, the, the only time I've ever had bugs get into any of my powder horns, we were living in a house that was built around 1810 and I had one up on a mantle. It was uh -huh. a stone mantle and bugs got in it then, but otherwise, no, I've never had any issues with uh -huh. bugs getting into powder horns or quill work. Okay, that's that's good to know. I mean, I have some old horns that I've picked up that do have like bug tracks in them, but none of my contemporary horns or any of the horns in my family have any have had any issues with that. But that's a good question. The only thing about leaving powder in them year round is if you want to take it and wear it to an event, like an indoor event, <laughs> you got to empty it out. <laughs> Generally, we need triple eight. Yeah, that would help a lot. But we'll see if that happens. Maybe they're maybe they're shifting some. What's the percussion cap availability situation looking like? I think it's going to be a repeat of last year, personally. Um, it's going to be kind of another one run and done. And if you see them in August, September, that's when you need to pick them up. I don't think you're going to see increased availability this year. I don't know if Jason has an opinion on that, though, or not, because he only shoots flintlocks. So he's, yeah. not, a, he's yeah. not a cat man. 
I haven't shot a cap lock in over 20 years. No way. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah, I th- I've, I've got a video um, kind of going a little more in depth about it coming out in the next week or so. I'm trying to finish that up. But yeah, I think it's going to be a repeat of last year. Uh, late last fall, though, we did see some what I think were new production Remington percussion caps which I think is good, but I didn't see a whole lot of them or uh, a lot of a wide distribution with them. So I'm hoping that we see some more of those this year. Um, both CCI caps and Remington caps are both owned, or the manufacturing is owned by the same company. So I'm hoping that now we see a, a run of CCI caps and a run of the Remington caps now that they've like fully transferred ownership and it looks like the line functions. So we'll see, though, if that actually happens. That's just speculation on my part. What's the difference between real black powder and black powder substitutes, and how do they burn differently? That's a great question. Um, we go. Oh, now we got the three quarter. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to get the better use the better camera. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, as far as since like, uh, no, go ahead. Oh, okay, <laughs> I was gonna say as far as like the substitutes go. Uh, and real black powder, to my knowledge, real black powder has a lower ignition temperature. So in your traditional muzzleloaders, especially in your flintlocks, the flintlock needs that lower ignition temperature. Uh, a flintlock won't, as far as I've seen, reliably ignite Pyrodex or 777. There's going to be some kind of hang fire or delay there that you're going to run into. Um, chemically, they're different. Um, the black powder substitutes are... a a diff- they're kind of black powder. They they share some of the those components, but they have navigated around like the ATF explosives laws, um, so that you don't need this strict um, and safe storage of the substitutes that you have to have for the black powder. So that's with a big hang up on local shops having real black powder and stocking real black powder because it's under the ATF and you have to have a specific sized magazine based on how much powder you're storing. And it has to be a certain distance away from your shop. And there's a whole myriad of other rules that go along with stocking that real black powder. Most of your modern gun shops just don't want to deal with it or they've changed hands over the years and new owners don't want to deal with it. And so they're simply stocking the black powder substitutes which are more focused on the hunting side of things. Yeah, real black powder is classified as an explosive so you actually need an explosives license and you got to have a the proper magazine and all kind of storage whereas modern reloading powder or black powder substitutes you don't need to go through all those hoops to stock those yeah so modern powders are considered a propellant aren't they is that the word they use for them Mm -hmm. yeah so it's a i think it gets down to the chemistry of it i should have paid more attention in chemistry class all right. Well, I'm trying to view this on my uh, my computer, and it's not working. And so back to the original screen. Yeah, flip it around. Yeah. There we go. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Look at these cool dudes. Jeez, <laughs> these are cool dudes. Thank you. Handcrafted by Lem says flint pouch is filled at all times. Yeah, I've. Uh, I, I'm ashamed to say, well, it's not, I'm not ashamed, but it's embarrassing how many times I've gone out to the range to film something with my flintlock and I lose a flint 
and I've got a dud flint and then I have to go back to I have to hike back to the shop <laughs> and find my flints, get them in there. So I always try to keep, I, I've gotten to the point now where I try to keep six in my shop pouch and then I'll have a few others in like a toolbox or something if I'm going out to the range. But I find that if I have six, I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I can get through just about anything with six in my pouch. I would hope so. <laughs> uh, Jeff here says, I picked up an old Hawken. Don't have any black powder on hand at the moment, but have triple seven three up. Will that work? If it's a percussion, yes, um, you can get that to work. Um, in my experience, the Magnum percussion caps will lurk, work a little bit better, but um, you know, a regular percussion cap should do it. Um, the percussion, I think, ignites a little hotter uh, than, a, than a flintlock does, and you have sometimes a little more direction um with that ignition which which helps on the uh, black powder substitute side for for cap guns jake harris of everything black powder is the real expert though when it comes to testing all this stuff Ooh, here's a good one simon kenton versus lewis wetzel who's winning i'm going with simon kenton. you are ah that's a tough one it is a tough one they were both they were both pretty tough they're both good yeah. Cool dudes, shoot. Oh man. But, not... but my antece- my antecedent was actually with Simon Kenton. So uh, uh, I'm going it? with Kenton. Family connection. Okay. There, yeah, there's a blood. There's blood there. Yeah. I th- I think if Lewis can get it done quickly, I think if Lewis has got the jump, I think it's in the bag for Lewis. But I think if it's if they're exchanging blows or shots, I think I think Simon's sinewy physique is gonna win out in the long run. Are, are there any period accounts of how tall or big a guy Lewis Wetzel was? Because I can't think any off the top of my head. Where Simon Kenton was supposedly a very <laughs> tall, broad-shouldered <laughs> guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's so much myth around around Wetzel. It's hard to figure out what was real. You know, I mean, Kenton did pick up Boone and throw him inside the fort <laughs> at the siege of Boonesboro. And you got to be a big dude to do that. Not that Boone was a big guy. I think he was five nine, five ten, yeah. something like that. He was spry though. The most powerful bald men on the internet. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if I would go that far. I bet we are pretty powerful. Jeff Bezos has it uh has us beat by a little bit. Yeah, but he he's not into muzzle loaders though. And that's a big that's a big thumbs down. Yeah. Uh see so Foster's money is on Wetzel. I, I think I think Wetzel could work. I think Wetzel could win it out. Found some Winchester Magnum number 11s. Up. Yes, I've got <laughs> uh, my, my local shop stocks those as well and has a few, which is pretty cool. Stonefield Accoutrements is trying to get the flintlocks in the background. That's right. Yeah, Jason's got the office set up. Mine's just filled with books. Look at that. This is where Jason works every day, folks. Yep, this is it. You've probably seen some of these flintlocks before. They, these are the typically the ones I shoot in matches. Ah, that's okay. uh, Stonefield accoutrements there. Yeah, right. right. So, um, let's see. NB Herman wants to know the optimal diameter for a touch hole. I don't know if there really is one. You yeah, know, a lot I of it. I was just going to say it would depend on 
you know, where it's placed in the barrel, how far for the breech face, all that kind of stuff. I'll always have really, really good luck with the Chambers White Lightning Touch Holes liners. And now that they make one that's, um, what is it, 12L14, the same steel as rice barrels, it doesn't glow like the stainless oh, steel ones. Oh, okay. So, so you can't even really tell you've got a touch hole liner in them. So, oh, that's slick. Yeah, they're fantastic. They're really nice. Uh, but as far as the optimum diameter, I'm really not sure. Probably smaller than than you, you really think it should be. I think uh, it's it's hard to tell on the originals because they're a lot of times they're just they're a lot larger. I think they've been they've been kind of shot out. Uh, I think a rule of thumb is like a sixteenth. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. right. I yeah. think I think a sixteenth is pretty fair uh, if you're just drilling. But yeah, if you can, uh, you know, drill and tap that for a touch hole liner and, and put one of those white lining touch hole liners because. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but that white lightning touch hole liner uh, is concave on the inside. So your main charge powder is right out there as close yeah. as it can be to your priming powder. Yeah. It's combed on the inside. So when you when that when your flint strikes that priming powder, it doesn't have to travel very far. And that's what Jason's talking about about some other those other parameters that you can deal with. It's not necessarily your whole size but it's getting that powder as close together as you can. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, the touch hole might not be lined up to the pan. If I, that's happened. Yeah. If, uh, if the maker or sometimes some of the production companies, they don't get it exactly dead on. And if, if it's not lined up in the right spot, it's just, you're going to have ignition problems. Yeah. I've seen a couple guys talk about the um, Indian muzzleloaders coming in. The touch hole liner is diagonal in the barrel to try to get past the breech face. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would not shoot a I would not shoot a live round out of one of those. <laughs> not that's you're in that camp. No. No, I you know if you if you need a a, a more budget friendly muzzle loader, buy a great plains rifle and consider it done. Yeah. They're it's hard to be they're beat great. the linemen. Yeah. They do a great job. Do you think black powder shotgun reloads and subcaliber adapters would make say 12 to 20 gauge domestic shotguns more safe to shoot you know i've heard about those uh, barrels delaminating but i mean you always have it inspected by somebody you know it's got some kind of scope or you know can really look at that metal but i think if you're not shooting a big heavy load i don't i don't understand uh, how it could come apart on you what do you think jason uh, uh... That's a, that's a little outside of my uh, my area of expertise. So you're talking about a modern Damascus barrel shotgun that uses shotgun shells? Oh, I was thinking like an original, like a side-by-side. -side. Like I've got a percussion double barrel that I was hunting turkey with last year. Right. But the, the sub-caliber adapters, that's what confuses uh, me. Oh, okay. I don't even see that comment. The last comment I see is uh, about the touch hole diameter. It was the times, man. You might have to scroll. That's what I'm doing with my arms I'm, stuck out here. Kind of funny. I'm scrolling. There's nothing to scroll. What about sharpening your flint on the frizzen? Now, Lem, that's going to have to be something you explain because some folks say tisk. You mean sharpen it while it's in the jaws? If so, I do that oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. If that's what you mean, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah Jake if I'm on a woods walk or, or shooting or, or whatever, 
uh, in a match and I need to nap it, I just, you know, I'll plug the touch hole and tap it a couple of times on the top with my turn screw. And usually fixes it right back up. You're bing, bang, boom, you're done. <laughs> Eddie Davenport here. At the World Championship trial match, final shot, less than a minute left. I had to switch flints. Realized I didn't have any on the line after taking it out. I had to put it back in and nap it. Oh, man. <laughs> Ooh, that's that's the kind of pressure I don't need. Well, don't leave it hanging. How'd you do? Yeah, yeah Eddie, how'd you do? Fill us in. Did you place that shot back in the X-ring? Ball surplus is picking Wetzel. I think the chat is leaning towards Wetzel on this. Aaron, a guy from Indiana. Hey, guy. Thanks for coming, bud. The cool Ethan, uh, classic outdoorsman, says, Old man Wetzel low-key deserves the father of the 18th century. Oh, father of the century, 18th edition. (laughs) (laughs) He says, so Kenton fired Boone caliber projectiles. (laughs) I like that. That's good. (laughs) <laughs> so, so this is weird my com- my comments are not coming up i can't see anything since um okay i'll try to weird i don't know how far behind i am I'm gonna, i'll try to catch us up here i've heard of the mad star mad mag spark mod for cap locks but to do the 209 primers blow too much flame and pressure into the powder charge you know i I've heard folks using that uh, and picking them up off of eBay and liking them and, and being able to shoot the 209 primers with their percussion guns. I don't know. I haven't done any testing myself on that um, to see if there's any un, uneven burning. Um, I think a lot of times we can overthink a lot of this stuff. And if it works for folks, that's great. You know, and I hope that they can run it safely and, and make it work. Um, but yeah, as far as, uneven powder i'd have to see i I don't know that it would behave a whole lot differently i I imagine the 209 primer is a hotter primer of course but i don't know if that affects the burn rate bigger bore bigger touch hole going to my first competition next month says cray crow well good luck bud knock them out and if you don't knock them out that's okay just have fun Aaron says, I'd say the bigger touch hole, the less velocity and inconsistent groups, but he's just a poor shotgun shooter. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're not wrong. You do lose some velocity out of the touch hole. (laughs) He's shooting a small moving target. So he's getting, he's getting bonus points for that. So Hank cracked about Lynn says he wants to come back East and shoot with us. Come on. Yeah, dude. Maybe we can meet in the middle somewhere. Oh, here's a good question. What's your favorite movie featuring Flintlocks, Jason? Last of the Mohicans. My wife turned to me the other day and said, I could watch Last of the Mohicans again. And I said, sold. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's a classic. I mean, The Patriot was good. And there's there's been some other ones. You know, Mountain Man was good. Jeremiah Johnson's great. But Last of the Mohicans has got to be where it's at. So, uh, I feel like the Revenant could be edited into a really, really good movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I could see that it was very artsy. It was very well done, but it's it's just it's no, no. I haven't felt the need to add that to my collection. Really? Wow. 
Oh, yeah. I have it. I, have it. I like it. I like, I like a lot of the shots, and I like a lot of the cinematography oh, in it. The cinematography uh, is fantastic. I mean, it's absolutely it's, fantastic. You'd think that they could really, really oh. knock that kind of story out of the park. I mean, they absolutely right. did not follow the story of Hugh Glass. No. I mean, uh, Hugh Glass forgave the two guys that left him. He didn't kill them. Uh, you know, it's just there a, a lot of things. But there's some really cool scenes in the movie. Um, yeah. We did an article about it, about the movie right before it came out. We got to work with Fox Films. They sent us promo photography, and it was really oh, cool. Really? Yeah, I've actually, one of the, the prop masters sent me a video of the director. I can't remember the director's name, but the director shooting the flintlock rifle that was made for the movie and hitting the target. And we were going to put it on our YouTube channel and Fox films wouldn't let us do it. Oh yeah. They wouldn't I let us believe sh- that. share it. Yep. But the, uh, uh, a cool thing, and I just want to share this, but the, the fire starting scene where Leonardo DiCaprio's character used a fork to start the fire, not here period correct in any way, shape <laughs> or form, but that, but that fork was made by a resident of your state. That was made by Kyle. Kyle Williard. Mm-hmm. Williard. The famous fire lighting fork maker. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to bring that up, up to him. Yeah, old Dominion Forge. Yeah, he uh, he made that. He made the ice chisels they were using in the movie. He made several props for the movie. He's oh, he's actually surprised props for a, a, a lot of movies. Oh, absolutely, that's fantastic. Okay, so uh, scrolling up, let's see. Favorite okay. muzzleloading handgun slash revolver of any type. Ooh. Well. My personal favorite are the Georgian period English pistols. Not so not a revolver. I just love those pistols. If it's got to be a revolver, then I'm going to have to go with the uh, Griswold and Gunnison because I grew up just a few miles away from where their factory was outside of Macon, Georgia. Oh, okay. I don't know that I have a favorite. I mean, in like a modern sense, um, my grandfather built a line of competition muzzleloading pistols that I'm a big fan of. Um, really love those. But it's hard to for me just to be just a classic, you know, just Kentucky pistol. I mean, there's a lot of good European pistols, of course. You know, mm-hmm. you can see the Manton over-unders that I saw last fall. Um, those, that was pretty sweet. That was something else, having yeah. that stacked up on a pistol. Those are pretty neat. As far as a revolver goes, handcrafted by Lim, he said uh, – Dragoon or Patterson or Lamat. The Lamats are awesome. I mean, what are they? Seven shots plus the twenty gauge <laughs> shotgun barrel. <laughs> All the backup so, you need. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They're heavy. They're they <laughs> weigh a ton. You got you got to pump your iron for that one. Eat your Wheaties. Uh, my good friend William Brown said, "Too bad a movie about uh, King's Mountain campaign hasn't been made." You are absolutely right. That would be a phenomenal story. There are so many great stories in the 18th and, and early 19th century that I would really love to see like a John Wick-esque take on something in the 18th century. Like if we can make a really good action movie, why can't we do it in this time, in this setting? Like if I won the lottery, if we could fund something, that's uh, I think that would be our so, generation's Jeremiah so- Johnson. So you want to go one step further than Lethal Flintlock? I mean, The Patriot, and go with a full-on John Wick style action yeah. movie. Yeah, I think that could work. Yeah, okay, I'd go to the movies I, and see it. I th- yeah, let's see. Butts and seats. You know, that's what uh, I was looking for. 
So the classic outdoorsman asked thoughts on the Woodbury legacy now that Herschel's passed. So actually there's some cool things happening in Woodbury. They've started a foundation called the Herschel House and Woodbury School Foundation. They are going to continue having classes at Herschel's property there in Morganton. And I'm pretty excited to see what they're going to do. They're probably, I think they're talking about trying to have at least one class a month out there, either like gun making, knife making, whatever. And so I'm pretty excited to see what they've got coming up. It's a, you know, we definitely had a major loss with Herschel's passing. He's been such an icon in our hobby for forever. Yeah. Uh, so he really defined yeah. a lot of the, the contemporary space, I, mm-hmm. I think, both in both in what his artistic execution and then his willingness to share and educate, too. I think he really I think when people read Foxfire five and they kind of they, he be, went on a wider radar for people. I think people were very surprised then when he was so friendly and so willing to share mm-hmm. what he had learned. Uh, kind of after that, it was really incredible. I th- I think that will be a lot of his lasting legacy, even more so than his incredible artwork. All right. Uh, what is your favorite 18th century flintlock builder? Do you mean a builder in the period? If so, I'm going to have to say uh, Newcomer, John Newcomer from Lancaster. Oh, okay. Love those okay. Newcomer guns. Uh, names escape me on my feet. I'm sorry, guys. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to pull a name out of a, out of my brain on that one. If so if, uh, if you meant if you meant contemporary maker, there's there's a bunch. Mike oh. Miller, of course, our mutual friend Tim Williams. Um, um, there's too many good. I mean, it's it's just there's too many. <laughs> there's too yeah, many. way too many. Uh, especially now. Uh, I mean, the stuff Eric uh, Benoswich has been sharing on Instagram has been fantastic. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah he's, he's built some neat stuff. incredible stuff. He always has, even before yeah. he went to Williamsburg. He showed incredible talent. Uh, so, Jason, what got you into muzzleloading? It's simple. Oh. My uncle traded a, a canoe for a muzzleloader, a Thompson Center Hawken, to get a couple extra weeks of deer hunting. So my dad ended up investing in one. And then we had a family friend that went to rendezvous. And one day in the spring of 94, my dad and I followed this friend to an event. It was shooting, camping, and throwing knives and tomahawks. What more could a 15-year-old boy want other than girls? And, you know, there weren't was, any girls, that's for sure. No, there were not. <laughs> but, but I, yeah, you know, it just, it was great. So uh, I started later that year, and I've been doing it ever since. Oh man, I'm gonna have to look up. Is there any kind of like spec script for this attempt at Eckert's Frontiersman and turning it into a movie? Is there anything like that out there? Uh, I think there there was. I would have to refer back to the article that Ted Ballou did about Alan Eckert several oh, years man. ago. Him, he and Alan were friends. Um, I think there was actually talk of a movie about the Frontiersman. Man, that'd be sweet. Maybe I'll own a Thompson Center White Mountain Carbine. I don't. I don't. I don't own anything Thompson Center. <laughs> as as wild as that uh, sounds, uh, for somebody that loves muzzleloading, uh, I, I I think it'd be nice to add like an original Thompson Center Hawken, just to have it for what they did. 
but I, I haven't had that chance to, I don't have anything myself. Yeah, it would be, but would you replace the barrel? Cause they had what, a one in 48 twist barrel. So it was too slow for round ball and too fast for conicals. Or other way. Flip that too. Around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Too slow for conicals and too fast for round ball. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of those green mountain drop in barrels floating around out there. I think it'd be cool to have it with the, with the green mountain drop in. Mm-hmm. I think rice makes a, oh, yeah. a replacement barrel for them too. Yeah. You can get rice too, for sure. Let's see. Not that I know of, other than he tried to make the project. It was shot down after Red Dawn. <sighs> mm. Whose doors do we need to knock on? Keith. Uh, Steel Contemporary. Yeah, Keith is a phenomenal maker. If you can only have one, smoothie or rifled. Ooh. I'd probably go with a smooth rifle in like a 55 caliber. That's the smooth rifle thing, man, is. Just it's got everything that you need. I mean, in a fi- I think in a fifty-five caliber, you could shoot five thirty round balls with you know your standard patching. You could still shoot shot in it. It'd be uh, be pretty versatile. It'd be pretty sweet, man. I love the smooth rifle idea. I think I would go smooth as well. Thoughts on stock checkering on the wrist and forend of contemporary muzzleloading rifles? We don't see it a whole lot. Mm-mm. It's not. Not that wasn't commonly done in the 18th century. It was done a little bit, but pretty few and far between. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with no. it. It, it just depends on the style. Excuse me. I think it, it when especially when you get into the early 19th century, you get into the really nice English stuff, which is really choice. I think checkering is one of those things that can really make or break something. And I, my my guess here is that the folks that get to the point where they're finishing out their muzzleloader. And they they might look at the idea of checkering and they, and they don't want to break it. You know, they don't want to ruin it at that stage. I think that might be why we don't see a whole lot of that. So we got a question. Is Buffalo Trace 1765 writing for Muzzleloader Magazine now? Yeah, we've actually published a, a few of Nathan's articles, but starting with the January-February issue, which is at the printers right now, he is becoming a regular staff writer. So I don't know if his articles will appear in every issue going forward, but they're certainly going to appear in a lot of them. I'm super stoked about that. Yeah, I've known Nathan a long, long time. He's a he's a great guy, fantastic researcher, and I'm really excited for what he's bringing to the magazine. Every now and then I'll have, have a weird idea about something, and I'll just I'll shoot him a text and like verify that I'm on the right track. <laughs> It's always neat to see how his brain works and, and to talk with him. So I'm really excited that he's going to be writing some more. Yeah, it will be great. So Vincent Stratton asked, I have a lead drain pipe. Someone gave me, how do I know if the lead's soft enough? If you scratch it with your thumbnail, it's soft enough. Yeah. And I don't think you can really soften the lead. Either it's pure lead and it's soft or it's got uh, impurities in it and it's not soft. Yeah, I mean... It, it's, it sounds kind of silly, but yeah, just take your thumbnail on it. And if you can just scratch it with your thumbnail without really pressing hard, you're good to go. English double barrel flintlock shotgun with checkering. I agree. That would be very nice. There's yeah. some, some really cool ones made. They didn't really become popular until the early 1800s. There was something about a double barrel wasn't considered sporting or something. It was something to do with just a culture thing. Um, but yeah, like a Henry Knock or um, Manton. Manton or Durzeg. Yeah, I always forget about yeah, the, I, the Durzegs. I, I personally.
particularly like the knocks. Those are my favorite of the doubles, but the yeah. Mantner Deer's Egg would be pretty awesome. Let's see, prettiest muzzle loader you've seen personally. I'm gonna have to go with some of the rifles that Ian Pratt has made oh. in the past few years. He oh, is yeah. when it when it comes to the contemporary artwork of the muzzleloader, i.e. not trying to make an 18th century gun, but a true statement of contemporary art, I think what Ian does is just amazing. And it's all inspired by the 18th century, and he draws elements from original guns, but he just, he makes them his own, and they're incredible. Yeah, yeah the, the Black Snake gun was just, I still think about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the brass barrel gun he made for Ken Gahagan. Oh, yeah, yeah. That I mean, gun is, is that's another, pretty phenomenal. That's another great name, with Ken Gahagan on those those early kind of Dutch Fowlers that he's been doing. Mm-hmm. Real big fan of those. The the grave marker or the gravestone patch box that he had in, in the one at CLA, I think it it, for, it was two years. It wasn't last year. It was the year before with that one. He, I think he first showed that one, and that one just sings. Mm-hmm. That one's just nuts. And so then, look at the – I mean, some of the original stuff from the early 1800s, really, coming out of England, it's just gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Uh, let's see. We got a question. What advice could you give folks interested in running an article for muzzleloader? What types of articles would uh, catch your interest? It, it's simple. Just send it in. Write it and send it in. If I like it, I'll run it. Uh, the t- types of articles, we like historical reference and research articles. We like how-to articles. We like stories of treks or hunts. Pretty much anything related to early American history from about 1840 to 1700 and nothing fiction. We don't publish any fiction stuff. Let's see. The real deal. Andrew Kelso, howdy. Best best in letting hack tip. That's one for you because (laughs) uh, I've never built a gun and I never plan on building one. We've got to build. I mean, how fun would that be? I'll tell you. We should, we you know should. what? I, if if Kibler comes out with a left-handed kit, I will put one of those together That's as right. a gift for my dad. That's right. But other than that, I just want to shoot them. Yeah. That's fair. I, I do think it would be fun to uh, film building the kit together, Jason. That would be a lot of fun. Oh, my God. That would be a uh, terrible. <laughs> Dude, I'm just imagining I'm editing gonna... all the the bleeps in for all your all the cursing, but but there will be a I, lot, <laughs> a lot. The the best thing that I've found, and I again, I'm I joke that I'm not a builder. I play one on YouTube. The best thing you can do is go slow, go as slow as you can. You want to wake up that day. I don't even know if you want to have your, your cup of coffee because you want to just be going slow when you're going to inlet anything <laughs> important and just put your black on get it on the stock take it off carve just a little bit and put it back in put your piece back in there and check it and just check it and check it and check it it's going to be repetitive when it gets irritating that it's so slow and that you're not making any progress it's a sign that you need to walk away take a little break and go do something else you know shape the butt stock some shape the four stock some do something that you don't have to think a whole lot on you know or work on something totally different. But the best inletting tip that I've found is to go as slow as you can, get to where you can really focus on it and work a little bit at a time. That's all I, 
that's all I've got for you. Sounds like good advice. So uh, I want to relay this story. I, I get to hang out at the gun building class that Ian Pratt and Ken Gahagan do a lot, you know, for a few days. It's always just really energizing watching them teach and watching the students build and all. Well, one year, a lot of the students were really giving me a hard time saying, you know, you, you publish the magazine, you enjoy owning and shooting these guns. You really, really need to build one. Well, one of the students was a pilot. And I, I cornered him. I said, you're a pilot, right? You love flying? He said, yeah, I absolutely love it. I said, you ever thought about building an airplane? <laughs> he said, I get your point. <laughs> so he never gave me a hard time that's, ever again about that. That's really good. I like that a lot. Uh, I say that because my uh, my stepbrother actually he built an airplane. Oh, so. oh really? Yeah, yeah. Did he fly it? I think so. Oh, wow, that's impressive. That's like the cooler so I, version of building a boat in your basement. Yeah, stepbrother in law. Okay. Well, his fortunately for him, his step his dad was like an FAA inspector, so they put oh, it together. Oh, okay. They were going by the book. Mm-hmm. Bought so original. bought an all original. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, reproduction real site, 61 Springfield, Whitneyville, 400 bucks. Killed a deer with it this year. Should I feel bad for beating it up or hunting with it? If now, it's all original, feel bad. No, that's what that, that's what that thing wants to go and do, man. <laughs> I mean, if you've got something that's like ultra historically significant, like Hamilton's pistols or whatever, yeah, maybe you don't hunt a whole lot with those. But if it's a normal muzzle loader, just a regular muzzle loader, it started life doing those things. I argue, you know, I'm not saying that it has like a Toy Story esque personality, but I think that muzzle loader wants to be out there doing things. So go out there and do it. And congratulations. That's yeah, awesome. absolutely. Jason, how many front stuffers do you have in your collection? More than three. I'll just say that. <laughs> More than the three behind me. Dude, we just built a $400 kit first. You absolutely love. Yeah, that's right. That's what I say, Jason. Build a little <laughs> cheap kit. Now I'm good. You can do it. I'm good. It can be intimidating. Uh, absolutely. That's something that I've really uh, come to terms terms with is, is that intimidation because it, it, it isn't for everybody. Absolutely. I mean, I like building stuff and working with my hands, but it's, it's certainly not for everybody. And, and that's, what's I think nice about the variety of kits that are out there. So you can, depending on how interested you are in getting your hands dirty, you can find something that kind of aligns with your skill level or, or the kind of things that you want to do. I mean, like the Kibler woods runners, I I've got one in the shop right now to build for a friend. Um, and based on what I've seen, it's just put it together, sand the hardware and stain it and you're good <laughs> to go. So that's like a, a great place to start if you're just interested in kind of the finishing techniques of it and, and kind of nervous about the idea of inletting. Yeah. Uh, Handcrafted by Lynn says we have an addiction, brothers. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you see all these, all these books? It's uh, It's a problem. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 45, and I've been doing this since I was 15. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Black Power <laughs> therapist says, "Tell Jason you can build it on my channel. We won't edit out the cussing. It'll be great. It won't be great. It'll probably be good content, but it won't be great." There's a, there's we'll a difference in a great product and great content. Pulling out our hair. Yeah, 
too like see I, I, yeah <laughs> i can make jokes <laughs> okay let me let me catch up here um ethan needs to build a colonial or woods runner yeah i've i've got a uh, i've got a woods runner that's going to be next after the invest arms pistol um so i'm i'm <laughs> I've enjoyed putting together the Invest Arms pistol. Um, I like pistol kits because they're just kind of neat and tidy. Um, but I am really excited uh, and really ready to get that off the bench so I can get on to the, the Woods Runner. Because I know he's waiting for it, uh, the buddy I'm building it for. Babies be dampening my spending. Yeah, that's right, man. They don't stop, do they? No, they do not. Uh, jealous. So the kits you have in the states we're starting to see some imported into canada being a muzzle loader you should be able to buy any kit you know the shipping will probably eat your lunch but you should be able to get any muzzle loading kit up there yeah i feel bad for canadians they're really kind of going through it with this stuff they can't get powder and can't get kits i think we're all caught up so keep them coming folks yeah keep asking Good questions. Let me see if I can see some of the questions I, um, I gathered from this morning. Here as well. The laws are done. Agreed. You, you can come down here, man. We will We will welcome you. I'm not familiar with a Canadian company. Uh, I know there's there was – isn't there a company in Canada that does import of India guns, Loyalist Arms or something like that? Yes. <laughs> but again, that's an Indian gun, and I would not shoot one. Let's see. Not, Either of you be it. Sh no, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm not as uh, hard-lined as Jason. I understand the the safety concerns on them. I think if you are – I don't know that it's necessarily a great first muzzleloader, um, but I think if you aren't shooting of rather any large uh, powder charges, I think you can do it safely if you've got one that works out. But that's the thing, you know. But, if you're ordering it, you don't like you don't get to pick yeah. it. Uh, it's, it's a roll of the dice. I've seen I, some that I'm like, oh yeah, that's that looks fine, and I've seen others that I'm just kind of make me queasy. <laughs> yeah, uh, black powder therapist therapist asks, will either of you be at Shot Show next week? Uh, I will not. No, I won't either. I'm I'm working. Yeah, I and I a shot about once every five or six years i think i went last year and it had been nine years since i've been before and i think there were exactly three booths there relating to traditional muzzle loaders yeah it's um and i don't think it's going to be a big year for muzzle loaders <laughs> at the shot show um traditions and cva have kind of they've hit their production cycle uh i don't think they're gonna, we're going to see anything new out of them uh, I think CVA announced some new colors, but I don't think we're going to see anything different for five years is my bet right now. Um, everybody's kind of caught up their manufacturing and their models. And I think they're going to ride that wave here for a little while. I think there'll be some incremental updates, but um, traveling to Vegas is <laughs> it's expensive. Yeah. Plus I'm just not a fan of Vegas. It is a dirty, dirty city. There's too many people. And, I don't know. It's just any news or percussion caps. I think it's going to be a repeat of last year. I'm sad to say. I think if you get, um, if you see their CCI does a, a single run every year, uh, you got to look out for them in July, August, September. You might see some still in October, but I think by then they're going to be kind of gobbled up. 
the best thing you can do is uh, sign up for a wait list on like one of the online retailers, sporting goods stores. So you get an email notification, make sure that you're looking out for those email notifications and buy them online because in-store availability, I think is still going to be um, really up in the air as far as if you get them in your area or not. So um, I, don't, I don't really understand the hesitation on ordering them online, especially if you're doing it from a business that's been around for a while. But uh, I think the, the days of being able to get, you know, real black powder and percussion caps at your local store without having to pay for shipping or drive a couple hours is kind of behind us as I hate to say it, but it's, I don't think we're going to see any changes anytime soon towards the positive end. So unincorporated cop ask chambers Fowler, wait for a Kibler Fowler. I would say, I I don't think you could go wrong either way. It just depends on your competency level. There's going to be a lot more work in the chambers Fowler, but their products are just fantastic. I mean, they've been in the business forever. I, I consider all the chambers close personal friends and what they make is just great. If you've got the ability of the skill or the patience to put together one of their kits, you won't go wrong. If you want something that'll be easier to put together, then wait for the, the Kibler. I've actually got a, a chamber. I got an email as I sat down uh, for this. My chamber's Fowler has shipped. So it should be here next week, I think. Oh, fantastic. Um, fantastic. So, so that's the next kit after the Woods Runner. I didn't plan on stacking three kits into this <laughs> winter, but that's what we're going with. Um, so I'm, I want to get the Woods Runner out of the shop so I can work on my, my muscle. <laughs> but um, so if, if the money's not burning a hole in your pocket, I'll have quite a bit of detailed uh, uploads about that process. So you can see that. Um, but yeah, I think as far as the, I don't think you can go wrong either. Um, I've not personally put together, Together a chambers kit yet but i'm really excited to do that i hear great things and i i picked up the new england fowler so it's going to be kind of an earlier period um, and i think that the kibler fowler is lined up to be a little bit more of a later 18th century version i could be wrong though um, just based on what i've the little bit that i've seen um, and i do think that the kibler fowler fowler will be done on the same machinery as the woods runner so i'm expecting to have to have um, similar snap together and, and run with it uh, building. So uh, Tim Billow says reproduction percussion cap kits and rifles are controlled like a more modern firearm. That sucks. That does suck. I know Tim has several muzzleloading friends up in Canada, so I, I take that with uh, good regard. I built my first Kentucky kit before Thanksgiving, showed it to my father-in-law. A week later, he gave me a CVA Kentucky pistol kit that he bought in the 80s and never touched it, just finished it. Wow, what did you think? Those are great. That's awesome. And I can't believe what those unfinished kits go for, like at an event or on eBay or something. It's kind of wild. How about Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone? Who, in your opinion, was the better marksman? Ooh. Uh, I'm going to go with Crockett. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking I, Crockett too. <laughs> I live in Tennessee. I work at David Crockett state park where, uh, David Crockett had a grist mill, a powder mill and a distillery. Um, so I'm a Crockett man. Got to go with Crockett. Crockett too. Yeah. Sorry, Boone. Boone and, makes, you know, a good so projectile. I, I've, uh, I've never really read anything about 
Boone shooting, whereas there's a lot of period accounts about David Crockett being in shooting matches and all that. Yeah. Simeon England versus Chuck Norris. It's Simeon all the oh, way. Oh, no. It was Chuck. No, sorry. No, I think it's Simeon. I think it's yeah. Simeon kind of has that Simon Kenton sinewiness, I think. I, yeah, but it's, I can see it it's, it's, Chuck, it's just Chuck Norris. Okay. No one can beat Chuck. Chuck, Chuck Norris is the end-all, be-all. He's the Omega. <laughs> it, it's it's just it's. We'll gladly watch the Flintrunner build. Thank you. Well, who's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite modern flintlock builder? Top three each. I can't pick a top three. That's tough. I don't want to hurt yeah. anybody's feelings. Yeah, it, it, there's too many. Yeah. I mean, I could I I can give you a top twenty, <laughs> but not a top three. <laughs> I'm a big I, I I'm a big friend of Ken Gahagan and Ian Pratt's work. I consider them, uh, you know, close friends. Really love talking with them about this stuff um, because they're so cagey about it. They're very ornery. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's so many good builders out there making stuff that's just just wild. It's just great. You've got Judd Herschel Frank. Good picks, though, there. Yeah, Judd Herschel Frank. Those are good. Good picks too. Chambers are great depending on how confident you are with your skills. I think that's – I'm trying to – yeah, Judd Herschel Frank. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah, Any other good. questions? Artist, you mean uh, like that's a flat artist, painter? <laughs> <laughs> I'm planning to go shoot it. It doesn't even look like the same gun. <laughs> Ooh, all, all around accoutrements. You know, it really depends. There's so many, you know, it, if you talk about leather work, it's either um, Jim Rogers, James Rogers out of Virginia, or oh, I'm having a brain fart, um, um, Rick DeVilius, who, who doesn't really do anything anymore. Uh, if you're talking about powder horns, it depends on the style of horn. Uh, I really, really love John Barrett's polychrome horns. I, I think he does them like no one else. He's actually the featured artist in January, February issue. Um, Fantastic. you know, you talk about knives, it's got to be Kyle Woodyard, <laughs> knives or, or swords, or uh, fire starting forks, or fire starting forks. Uh, I am not sure what gun is going to be focused. I've talked to Ian a bunch the past couple of weeks, but that has never come up. Any word from Jim Kibler on the Hawking kit? Uh, on the ALR last fall, he was supposed that he was looking for an original. Um, so that's, and he, he said that he was going to base a kit off of it. So he wanted a good one. He wanted an accurate one, but, uh, you know, the 200, 200th anniversary, I think of the Hawkins shop opening is in 2025. So it would make sense to time it with that. I don't know though, the manufacturing timeline for him. Um, but the woods runner and now this Fowler coming out, uh, supposed to be this year, pretty quick back to back release. So he might be he might push it to to get it done then, but I don't think it's really going to matter if it comes out on the 200th anniversary or not. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement for an easy to assemble, historically accurate Hawking kit um, that I think will will carry the sales. So, I mean, I wouldn't look for it to be earlier than 2025. Prob, I mean, 2026 is probably more likely. I think. Let's see. We had a question. Um... Picked up a stock from a rifle my great 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 uncle built recently. 
appears to have had a Gulcher lock. Any suggestions on where to find a Gulcher reproduction percussion lock? Um, R.E. Davis makes one. Oh, you can get them from Log Cabin they? Shop. They do. I was just Googling it. I didn't know that off the top of my head. But they do make one, and R.E. Davis makes good products, and the, the people at Log Cabin Shop are fantastic. Some of my favorite people. Absolutely. Good, good friends. Oh, yeah, that's great. I got them. It looks like right and left-handed. Or maybe yeah, just log- right-handed. I don't know. I clicked the first thing I saw on Google. Um, yeah, Log Cabin Shop, they are great. I if, yeah. I think there's there's two places if you're – or three places if you're into muzzle loading that you need to make a pilgrimage to at least once in your life. The first is Friendship, Indiana, the NMLRA. Go to one of the – probably the Spring Shoot is the best one to go to. It's a little busier, more active. The second place would be Dixie Gunworks, and the third place would be Log Cabin Shop. Yeah. Let's see here. And I, I, I want to correct my statement. They are just right-handed, but they do have three different versions. Depending on, on what kind of lock you have. Just finished a great plains rifle. I'm looking forward to another Hawk and build. Might do an Invest Arms next. Yeah. I really enjoyed the Invest Arms. I thought it was nice. Um, you know, and another one to consider is the Hawken Shop out in Oregon, I think, or Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a they have a line of kits that they they made parts from original Hawkins um, off of some of the same tooling from the original Hawkins shop, which is pretty neat. That's something to to look into. I think they're kind of in the price range of a, of the Kibler kit. You're looking at you know fifteen sixteen hundred, um, probably a little bit more. I think maybe than a Kibler. Uh, and they are, I think, more on the chamber side of things where there's a little more work involved, but they are really nice kids. And so uh, they, don't, Kate, they don't get a lot of press. Sorry. That's all right. No, I interrupt you. KWM Jam Adventures says, what are your thoughts on people that have done tactical builds on muzzle loaders? I'm a gun guy, so I think I, they're cool. I do, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I'm kind of specking out this year just to try. Uh, is I'm, I'm I'm going to shows hunting for parts, and I'm always watching like Brownells or Primary Arms whenever they have a sale on something cheap and ugly. Because um, that that guy. I mean, I, the, the, go ahead. I was going to say I wouldn't personally own one, uh, because you know you you can get an AR-15 any anytime you want one. Uh, but I think they're cool. I think so. Oh, I I I love it. I think it's neat, and uh, I think it kind of scratches people's heads a little bit. I think it'd be neat. The ones I've seen have been percussion. I think it'd be neat to do one with a flintlock <laughs> just to say that you could put a red dot on it and go to town. Cut I mean, if it's, short. if it's really, really going to be truly, truly tactical, it needs to be a 75 caliber smooth bore. So you can use okay. cartridges. That's true. True. Yeah, speed load. The British Army knew what they were about. Oh, they absolutely knew. I mean, they were cutting down trees, basically. But yeah, that's okay. So that's something to consider because I was originally thinking of like picking up like an old uh, busted up like CVA something or other, um, you know, parts and building it out of that. But the smooth board does sound much better. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to maybe I need two then. Maybe I just need to, need a budget for two. Although I don't think you. You can go super, super tactical because I don't think a flintlock at night vision is going to work real well. You think it's going to overexpose? Oh, yeah. I want to try. 
Yeah. What if you put it? What if you put the? You know, if you're like me and you have the single, what if you put the single on your left eye, away from the lock? Yeah, it'd probably help. I think that would help. I think that would help. But but what IR laser are you going to put on your tactical muzzle loader? That's what I want to know. Uh, as cheap of one as I could find. <laughs> I had a Chinese company. Uh, they continued to email me, wanting me to test out and review their night vision and infrared technology on my channel. And I, I just kind of keep them hanging because I, I don't think they understand that my stuff is much older. Because when I do budget for this, I want something that I don't care if it, <laughs> if it works or not. Because I think at that point, Right, Chinese bolted on there would be okay. The flint, yes, that flint lock match pistol on a 1911 frame. It's actually a Smith and Wesson Model 41 uh, or a Hammerly 150 if we want to get technical, Lem. But yeah, that does come <laughs> to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, KWM. Or, yeah, I'd love to see if you could if you could build one if you could find the parts up there in Canada. I'd love to see it. I think they're I just think they're neat and I think it's a fun shop thing to do. Like I like to have a project that I can go to the shop, I can just put it on my bench, and I can just tinker on it. I don't have to worry about anything. It's just kind of a fun thing to do. Kempton is coming up in July. That's right. Haphazardly representing. Great show out in Pennsylvania if you can make it. Full of. Uh, are you going to be there? Saw a photo a while back of it. I doubt it. It's tough. Especially it's tough since one. the CLA since the it's, CLA show was a week earlier. That makes my life a lot harder. The time between Kempton and CLA and then friendship is just like, I feel like I, I do the 4th of July and then it's Halloween with those shows. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to go gray here soon with that trifecta. So I'll photo a while back, I love back of a guy, uh, guy that 3D printed an adapter to fit an AR lower to fit onto an inline barrel, and he had a quad rail on it. You know, that's CMMG in Missouri. They actually made an, a muzzle loader upper for an AR lower. Um, and then I saw them at, at, at a show, and they were telling me about it. I never saw one in person, but they, they actually did make one. And then uh, I think it was Unitaw Precision did one uh, last year. They got some press out of it out of Shot Show, but they never seem to really go anywhere. I never, I've never seen anybody hunting with them or even showing it with a, uh, you know, with a trophy or anything. I'd love yeah, to. I think it'd be neat to see. But if you want to talk about the coolest modern inload, modern muzzle loader that was made, in my opinion, it was the Maxim Fifty from Silencer Shop mm. or Silencer Co. It was an integrally suppressed 50 caliber muzzle loader that was 50 state legal. They offered to send me one, and I said, that's not right for our audience, so I'll pass. Uh, I need to find but, one of those. But, yeah, it, apparently they quit making them. Uh, they're, they're neat. I got the whole one. It was at a gun shop down in Florida when I was visiting in-laws. So they are neat. Oh, I found, found a way to get the questions uh, from earlier too so we can we can pull those up if we need to that's because i didn't get radar. any questions <laughs> not a single one uh, eventually yeah i think it'd be cool to have a hawking from every I, I think that'd be neat to have a hawking from a variety i think it'd be cool to have that kind of timeline oh you could do a tactical under hammer too that'd be cool yeah that would make, definitely make more sense ah, 
Uh, H line hitter says night vision is auto gated. It won't blow out. I think. I don't think all, all night vision is auto gated. This would be um, a lot of fun. I think the to test out, the, Jason. We should get together. The higher end stuff is. Um, I was wondering how to clean that suppressor. I think it disassembles. I think you can pull the baffles out of the the Maxim fifty to clean it. Why are Why am I talking about modern muzzle loaders when I am not the modern muzzle loader? I don't. I don't know, man. I, I, this is a scandal. This is going to be on the next <laughs> edition of Muzzleloading News. Jason Gatliff discusses modern muzzleloaders. Uh, Clinton's asked, will I be at the Tennessee-Kentucky Rifle Show? Absolutely. I, I saw Randall last weekend at the Alabama-Kentucky Rifle Show and paid for my tables, and hotel reservations are already made. I'd like to get down to those shows. They always look so good. Oh, they're they're fun shows. The, uh, they're both really good shows. A lot of the same crowds at both of them. Yeah. They seem like a laid back, kind of low key show where you could go and really see stuff. Uh, um, they are. They're not as laid back as the Lake Cumberland show. That's probably my favorite indoor mm. show of all at Jamestown, Kentucky, the second weekend of February. So shout out if you're in the area or you can make it, you should come. We will be there. That's a show that I don't have tables at. I just go for fun. Just hang out. Well, we do photography, so I do work a lot, but we don't have tables. Lem's going to get some dinner. Enjoy yep. it, bud. Uh, say hi to the kiddos and the missus for us. Thanks for talking. Enjoyed it. Most of all the newer stuff is auto-gated. Okay. Interesting. We're going to have to play with that. That's just something we're going to have to do. I mean... I will probably have mine at Friendship. Okay. I, I will pack mine as well. <laughs> Just saw that. No, I will not be coming coming up to Carlisle. That's too far. <laughs> I, I, I hate missing so many of these, but it's so difficult to travel this time of year. I, I'm in a lake. I'm in Lake Effect snow territory. So like the entire trip to Carlisle could just be all Lake Effect snow for me. The, like the whole way and it's just it's a tough one and have to really time out well i'm not from pennsylvania this is a shirt from the gunmakers fair at kempton uh, which is in pennsylvania and it's a show that i i enjoy a lot and i like black t-shirts i think they look nice okay let me jump in here uh what do you think why do you think buzzloading and living history is growing especially with young people because it's fun. It is. It's just a great hobby. It's fun. The people in it are fantastic. You know, when I was a teenage boy, camping, shooting, and throwing knives and tomahawks, it's just, it's great. I think it's a, a, a connection to something different, too. I think, you know, if you're a young person and you're working and you're trying to start a family, you're trying to buy a house or, you know, a farm or whatever, there's just a lot of hustle, and I think muzzleloading is a great opportunity to kind of slow down, and you can really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Well, it, the stuff that's that's involved in it is not typically your mass-produced, disposable. It, it's real items. Usually, you know what the, the person who made it. Um, it just it feels a little different. It feels a little more real than the the plastic lifestyle we have. Yeah. Um, how's the Weather usually during the S the Southern Ohio Artisan Workshop classes depends on the time of year. 
back when they used to have their classes in January, it could be pretty miserable. Uh, but since they've moved their class to the end of February, early March, when I was there last year at Jackson, the weather was great. It was fine. The classes are going to be a few hours further north at FHA Camp Muskingum, FFA Camp Muskingum. Yeah. Uh, so that could that could have an effect, but it's it's just a few hours north, so it shouldn't have it shouldn't be that much different. No, I think it's I think it's far enough south to get out of the lake effect stuff too. What is the most common barrier to entry that you've seen in muzzleloading and the pursuit of muzzleloading? It's a good that, question. Read, read that again. What is the most common barrier to entry that you've seen in muzzleloading slash the pursuit of? Mm, I, th I would say it's either one of two things. If you're talking about just straight up muzzleloading, it's probably cost. Um, you know, when you buy a gun and all the accoutrements and all that, it's not necessarily cheap. If you're talking about the historical reenactment side, I would say sometimes people are jerks about your authenticity level and kind of run you off. I think, yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. I think at the base level, I agree with cost. Uh, that's, that's what I would say, because it's it's intimidating to want to have a, a reliable flintlock and, and, you know, and have a nice one. I mean, it's, it's hard to argue. <laughs> The, the difference between a $400, $500 kit versus a really nice long rifle. Um, you know, they do look a lot better and they function a lot better, but, um, you know, it takes time to save up for that stuff. Uh, and I think, I think that's a big one. I think location I would throw in the hat too is kind of a third one because if you, depending on where you're at in the country, like where Jason and I are at, I mean, it's really great. We're in kind of a hub. Mm -hmm. I even, you know, driving a few hours to some of these shows, it's still really accessible. And, you know, I had a, a comment on a video here today of a guy up in Alaska, you know, I'm not talking about how difficult it was to get black powder up there. And he just doesn't. And I, I feel bad when I read that stuff because I'm, I, it's so accessible for me where I'm at. And there are people out there that want to get into it. It's just hundreds of hundreds of miles um to have a chance at anything yeah uh, if you're that guy i mean you just pretty much have to bite the bullet and order a black powder a case at the time to save on the hazmat fees yeah well, that's a great point uh, because of the popularity there's a, a plethora and the variety alone can be intimidating yeah there's kind of like a choice paralysis mm -hmm. because we live in kind of a surplus culture there's so much out there and you always feel like there's something better maybe or you made made a mistake <laughs> buying something yeah i call that analysis paralysis i go into it frequently when i'm trying to figure <laughs> out what to buy uh, what i do is i just message jason i shoot jason a text and i say hey, is, this, is this a good thing <laughs> and then he informs me that i purchased the wrong flashlight but I digress. That wasn't the wrong one. I was just, there's other options. <laughs> I get a lot of static electricity on certain clothes. Should I be worried about black powder going off unexpectedly? No. No, about the only time I've heard that was an issue was with like, there were some glass powder containers in the 1800s and static could build up in them. They were, they were pretty dangerous. Um, but as far as clothing, no, I don't, I don't think that's going to be an issue. 
and it, it's brought up a lot because the powder is sold in plastic containers now, but I've never seen one of those containers produce a spark either. No. So, and I'm not, I wouldn't be too worried about it. I think the Bevel brothers did an article about it in muzzle blasts last year, the year before, and in their testing, they couldn't get any to ignite. So mm. I wouldn't be too worried about it. So we need to get my cat. I like where this is going. See if we can. Lemon's <laughs> <laughs> back. Lemon's back. <laughs> Dinner's not ready yet, bud. Just... KW Jam, KWM Jam Adventures says just buy all of them. That would be the classic AR15.com answer. Should I get this or this? Both. Buy both. I uh, um, I picked up uh, Brian Kaufman Brian Kaufman's Northwest Trade Gun in December, and I told myself I'm not buying any more. I need to I need to wait because I've got a couple shows coming up, and I want to be able to go with cash in hand if there's something I'm looking for. And then I noticed a very short cut off Northwest Trade Gun on the muzzling forum, and it keeps tempting me, <laughs> but I know I shouldn't. But I do want it. So do you know what the Last year was that they made the Northwest Trade Gun. I've been reading Track of the Wolf's book, and I should be able to tell you this, but it, it was much later. It was. It was like 1950 or something. <laughs> they were still making these and trading them to indigenous yeah. people. The the Canadian government was there's, crazy. There's, um, I love that. I I don't know why it's been on my shelf forever, but I got this. I got that. I got that uh, rifle from or trade gun from Brian. And I just, I thought I need to be reading a book about this. And uh, that book is just incredible. If you have a chance to pick it up, absolutely fantastic. The amount of documentation in there and accounts of what and why things change and why things happened with that whole series of, of muzzleloaders is absolutely fascinating. There is like modern level business espionage going on in the 17 and 1800s between different makers manufacturing these trying to capitalize on the trade gun market in the new world faking stamps putting london on muzzleloaders that never saw london and trying to copy touch marks but copying them in a manner that if there was put up to scrutiny that they wouldn't be but to a uh, they wouldn't be the same, but then to somebody just passing by, you'd think it was uh, like a Hudson Bay trademark or something. Just absolutely fascinating. There's uh, one where, where uh, there's correspondence from somebody here selling to the Native Americans, and there are complaints about the length of the muzzleloader, which I found fascinating because there's always discussions about when and why they got cut short but also the diameter of the wrist and the length of the butt stock, which was super interesting. And then later on, even well into the percussion age, there's a really neat correspondence between a lock maker and somebody ordering trade guns asking in the new world, asking for flintlocks specifically, because that's what their customers demand. They demand flintlocks in the 1850s and into the 1860s, where we've all but totally converted to percussion. And the lock building facility in England is saying is writing them back saying it is becoming almost impossible and to produce a flintlock now. You're going to have to convert to percussion at some point, and you need to tell your customers this. <laughs> it's just just super neat. That, that book was just just super great. Right. The book you're talking about is that Portrait and Treaty by Ryan yes. R. Gale. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. 
So, you know, uh, shout out to Track of the Wolf. They published a, a fantastic series of books. That's one of their books. Um, highly recommend all of them. The pictures alone are just incredible. Gave me a ton of ideas um, as far as builds and things go. Just really neat. Let's see. Let's see. What else do we have? Can we hear more about the classes that are available in the muzzleloading community and the scholarships? Sure. So just just right off the top of my head, um, the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association does a gun builders workshop at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green. And it is late May, early June every year. And they have a bunch of classes, like 10 or 15 or 20 classes. Some are three day, some are 10 day. Um, the best thing to do would be reach out to the NMLRA for more information on that. Then there's Southern Ohio Artisans Workshops. That's Ian Pratt and Ken Gahagan. Pretty, well, Ian it pretty much runs it. Um, and then they have different classes, everything from knife making, fixed blade boulder making to axe and tomahawk making, gun building, gun building from a kit, lock assembly. And they had been doing all their classes at Kenner's K4H camp in Jackson, Ohio, and they, they were recently moving. They had some classes at Log Cabin Shop, and they're moving to uh, FFA Camp Muskingum in northeastern Ohio. Um, then I know there's a bunch of other people that do classes, smaller classes, like I think Jim Parker down in Alabama has done some classes. I know Jim Chambers has done some kit building classes. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of the smaller ones I'm just not sure about. As far as scholarships go, I know... Southern or uh, Southeastern Ohio Artisans Workshops, they do a military or first responder scholarship. We do a youth scholarship. So if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, you can apply for it. I would like to go younger, but Canner's Cave, their rules said that you had to be at least 18 or have a parent come stay with you if you were younger than 18. So we kind of cut it off there. Uh, the CLA has a bunch of scholarships. You, if you're a CLA member, you can apply for a scholarship. Or if you know a CLA member, you can have them sponsor you for a scholarship. Oh, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a CLA you have to member. So if you want to get sponsored, let me know. I'll I'll help you out. <laughs> That's great. I mean, if there's that that connection because you know a lot of there's people out there that don't know about this stuff, and and we need to we need to onboard them as much as we can. Absolutely. Um. Alcoholic Gary says anything from Bob Woodfield about another printing of his talking book. I haven't heard anything. Yeah, Bob's uh, going through a little bit of a, some health issues. He's having some work on his shoulder done um, here soon. So he's really energized. I just don't know. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. He's, he's really excited about the 200, 200th anniversary of the Hawkins stuff. I would really like to see him do the book. He's got a bunch of updated information for it already ready to go. It's just going to come down to the time and the money for him to go through and get another run published. Every time I talk to him, though, I tell him how much interest there is in his book. So I'm hopeful that we see some more get printed. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Absolutely fantastic. So I hope he does reprint it. I hate for anything like that that's super valuable to go out of print. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's too valuable. <laughs> Yeah, keep 
a lookout, uh, Gary. Every now and then you'll see them on like eBay or something. I mean, don't you don't want to pay like a scalper's price, but you know, um, sometimes that stuff does come up. What what were they originally at retail? Like sixty or eighty dollars? I don't know. I thought like fifty. I was thinking they might have been fifty. And that's uh, that's one of the reasons it sold out so quick. I mean, it was just so affordable. Uh, I think the uh, uh, the American long rifles or the what was it, the long rifles the American Revolution book? I think that was eighty. Uh, but that book is just <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's it's well worth that. It's just you know. Is that, you're talking about the uh, uh, the one published by Rock, Historic Rockford? Yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah. I I have toddler brain names. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, that that was a good book. One, you know, one book I really, really recommend, and it is definitely still available. It's around one hundred, hundred twenty-five dollars. Is an intimate look at the art of the long rifle. Mm-hmm. That's just absolutely a phenomenal book. Yeah. All right. So Andrew Scott Wills of Hawk and Horse Band says, "Yeah, they were fifty. So you know, the Hawk and book was fifty dollars. If you find all the secondary market, if it's not much more than fifty. You know, you can choose whether you want to try yeah. instead of wait." Yeah, I mean, if, if it's there for seventy five, if it's, I, I'd pay a hundred bucks for it uh, myself. I mean, I know Bob, but it's still a really good book if you're into Hawkins. Mm-hmm. What are some small, low cost accoutrements for new collectors? Ooh, that's a great question dep- because I love s- small things. <laughs> I mean, it depends. I mean, like, what do you want to collect? Do you want to collect fire steels? Do you want to collect horn boxes? Um, there's there's a lot of great little things. There's, you can find new makers that are making small knives that are not super expensive, uh, priming horns, yeah. uh, vent taking pan brushes. There's some really cool vent taking pan brush sets out there. I like to think about the small stuff, uh, kind of in ter- terms of the muzzleloaders that I have or that I would like to have. So, like, I've got that Chambers Fowler coming, and I've been thinking about what I want that kit to look like, um, both the muzzleloader itself and then the bag and horn and the stuff that I have that goes with it. So I kind of think in that realm, even if I don't have it, if it's something that I, I know that I want to get at some point, that's how I will justify the purchase of the small stuff <laughs> kind of along mm-hmm. the way yeah. while I'm saving the, the big amount over here on the other side. I'm, I'm dropping, you know, a 20 or a $50 bill now and then to add something to that ensemble nipple picks i mean you can pick up a nipple pick yeah i mean that stuff it's it's hard to i think pre-plan um a lot of that stuff is kind of you see it and you know you want it or you can use it a lot of that stuff thinking baseball cards of the black powder world i like that that's a great way to put it aaron I like, mm. like the CLA or, or Kalamazoo or, or any of the other shows. I'm just kind of walking around and I always try to budget when I like right now I have two shows coming up, one in February, one in March that I know I'm going to. I'm hoping to get down to Lake Cumberland, but I go to those shows and I try to budget some stuff for smalls, you know, just neat little things that you, you, you like what it is. You like the maker. You want to support somebody starting out. And I try to save a little back for that to just, Something neat, even if I just put it on my shelf or by my computer where I'm working, just something cool kind of speaks to me. Yeah. 
baseball cards with black powder world that's really good no that'd be easy that'd be back issues of muzzleloader magazine you need to collect those they're cheap they're like seven bucks a piece (laughs) man canada is so rich in muzzleloading history it's a shame that people don't care about it i guess or it's just not popular it breaks my heart yeah Let me see here. We've got a couple more from earlier. When it comes to flintlocks, what are some beginner tips and what are the best flints? Hawk and horse. Yeah, it will be, or it should be saved on uh, both of our reels pages on our Instagram. So you should be able to go back and capture it. The whole, the whole uh, live stream here. Did you bring enough snacks to share? No, it's a cough drop, man. Okay. (laughs) Do you want one? No, I'm good. I've got whiskey. (laughs) That sounds nice. Um, I think uh, when it comes to flintlocks, it's a lot of patience is, I think, a good beginner tip is just taking your time at the range with it and working through the kinks that you might have and understanding that there is a steep learning curve both in getting it to shoot and then shooting it accurately so, so uh handcrafted by limbs says flat around priming horn i like the flat ones they seem to go in your bag a little better carry a little better but it's uh it's really all personal preference there's no right or wrong uh KWM Jam Adventure says, I keep saying it, make Flintlocks cool again. They've always been cool. You don't have to make them cool again. I don't personally have a preference on Flint type. And some people say the French are better. Some people say the English are better. If it fits and it strikes, I'm good with it. Um, I know Flints are kind of hard to come by right now, but if you can, you know, try to find a deal. Uh, every now and then you'll come across somebody with a five-gallon bucket of flints, and that's a good time to have budgeted a little money or to have a little cash in your hand to buy a five-gallon bucket of flints and not have to worry about it forever, you know. So just try to keep a lookout and make sure you have one that fits in, in your jaws and, and fits your lock size, and you'll be good to go. Yeah, I – um Gosh, like 20 years ago, I bought a like a 10-pound bag or a 5-pound bag of flints from Vernon Davis, and I've got probably more flints than I'll ever be able to use. I bought a couple of different bags, so for the different size locks I yeah. used. But you can you can get locks. I recommend um, having a brain fart as the name of the business. It's um, uh, Stonewall Creek Outfitters in Virginia. That's who ended up taking over from Vernon Davis. They bought Vernon Davis's business out, but they sell great flints. How do most people store their flint locks? They tend to be longer than most rifles. Kentucky rifles don't fit in my safe. You got to have to buy a tall rifle safe. Yeah. Yeah. Build a vault room. (laughs) It stinks. Uh, But there have been countless stories of collections disappearing appearing in fires, you know, so put it in as safe as place as you can, because you just never know. I mean, thankfully, I mean, like my father is the chief of our local volunteer fire department, and 
house fires, the number of them every year has gone down. You know, I think our electronic appliances are a lot safer. You don't have a lot of just air fires destroying things, which is good. But also, you know, you want to try to be safe when you can. I mean, it won't, you, you can, I mean, when it comes to a fire, I think you're just buying time, you know? So yeah. even if you're just doing something like building a drywall box, you're buying yourself some time. Not that you should be concerned in the event of a fire about your muzzle litters, but. Okay. Be right back. Okay. Yeah. Keep talking. I'm listening. I'm just oh, going to, right. I can't remember Wireless. who, uh, uh, oh gosh, Cannon. So someone asked where can you get, my personal safe is a Cabela's marked Cannon safe. They're a fantastic company. Uh, my good friend, Aaron Ehlert was in a house flood and they sent him two brand new safes free of charge. Wow. Uh, for the flood. So I recommend Canon safes and they make them plenty tall enough for, for muzzle loaders. And it, it, this just came from Cabela's. Like I said, it's a Cabela's branded Canon safe. Really? Mm -hmm. I've got uh, champion is the brand that I'm running and they make one that they make a, I don't know how tall that one is. It's about six feet tall. I can you can fit a long rifle in if you've got it angled a little bit. And I'm not saying you're going to fit the number of long rifles in there that they say you can fit. I don't think that's yeah. ever real, but you can. There are safes out there. Yeah, this one is this one is over six foot. I mean, I'm six one and it's taller than me. Fantastic. Um, it's a it's a great safe. You said that was a Cabela's what? It's a Cabela's branded Canon safe. Cabela's Canon. Mm-hmm. I found uh, uh, the one I've got um, at a local a local locksmith actually did safe work as well. He cracked safes for people, but then also was a safe dealer. So if you have that kind of local mom and pop shop, those are around. But then, yeah, Jason's talking about this one. Uh, this coming right from Cabela's. A lot of your your local gun shops will might not have them on the floor, but they will have uh, access to like. A distributor network so they can they they will order it through their shop and have it shipped to you or delivered to the shop and you can pick it up so generally you can get it pretty locally um through your local shop now as far as long rifle height it's a little shaky on on brand there but they should, it's time to close pretty accessible it's time to close the stream shane just joined oh no what is shane, shane doing up Shane gets to the shop and starts working on on <laughs> rifles at like six in the morning. You got to when be he's bed. not when he's not debating people about the virtues of wrought iron barrels. Oh no, I have not seen this. I saw the CLA Facebook group. Oh, oh. <laughs> cut a hole in the top of your safe. I think that'll ruin your fire rating. <laughs> Just drywall. Just more drywall. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, Clinton says, uh, really enjoy this, guys, but time for me to call it night. 4.30 comes early. Hope we cross paths again. I'll see you at the Tennessee show. Absolutely, man. We'll see you soon. Good yeah, luck Lim, tomorrow. Uh, Lim says Shane is his hero. Shane is everyone's hero. I want to be, be like Shane when I grow up. My mom won't let me get tattoos. All this talking he hasn't said one thing. He, no, I think he, I think he popped in and he bounced immediately. He's like, "Nah, these guys aren't cool." Let's see, let's see. 
that's okay. Yeah, he's not here anymore. I have to harass him about that. That's okay. What's the best wood stock for a muzzleloader? It's hard. It's hard to do the best stuff in muzzleloading because so much works. Um, it really depends on what kind of muzzleloader you're building. I think, but I think I've seen them built out of uh, like pear wood, even, which is kind of wild. You don't really think about that getting large enough. But um, yeah, it just depends on the style that you're going for. But if it's big enough and the grain's right, you're good to go. Yeah. I really, you don't see it very common because I understand it's super hard to work with, but curly ash, I think curly ash just makes a beautiful stock. One of my personal Shane, favorites. I think Shane's done a couple curly guns, curly ash guns, and especially with the emerald ash borer kind of tearing things up. Ash guns are really, have a soft spot in my heart. But the middle gun there, that's actually a cherry stock gun. Cherry works good. Oh, walnut. I, I uh, love cherry. Curly maple. Elm. Yeah, it, it's hard to yeah. tell now because it's basically black. Yeah. Was it aquafortis or iron nitrated or is it just sun? Yes. On your cherry gun. Oh, okay. No, I don't know. Mike Miller made me that gun in 2006. Okay. So it's had a lot of use. I'll ask Mike about that. If it's got a lot of use, it might just be the natural change because cherry is a really neat wood for stocks because it starts out very light and even with no stain if it's exposed to sunlight it will darken and age so each piece of cherry that's out there if you let it age in the sun with just oil on it with no stain you'll have different colors and it'll bring out different highlights um, mm -hmm. from stock to stock so my kibler southern mountain rifles cherry that i just oiled and right now it's a little orange but the more I'm out and using it, the darker it's getting, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, lye will turn cherry. Uh, yes, you a can nice start color too. Yeah, like, like a, I think easy off oven cleaner. Folks mm -hmm. are used to really to darken cherry. Yeah, you've nice got to you've got to really pay attention to get the one with the lye. One time at the the Southern Ohio Artisans Workshops, I had to make oh. a Walmart run. Oh no! And uh, they said get oven cleaner. So fortunately for me, I bought like one of each kind, <laughs> just, just to be safe. And one of them did work, but but yeah, one uh, one or two of them did not work. Yeah. Did not have the lie in it. Did it do anything to the stock? No. Really? Mm. Boy, I'd be scared to death. To do that. I think they well they might have tested it on a scrap piece before they sprayed it because we were all a little unsure. Okay, okay. that makes sense. But so they they would test it on something first. Yeah, that was several years ago, so I might not be a hundred percent on the details. Okay. I'll ask Ian about that. Uh, um, yeah, so like um, the Kibler Woods Runner that I've got coming up next in the shop, it's a curly maple um, walnut. Uh, is really popular for the the 1700s. I mean, really common. That's what my um, Chambers Fowler will be. It'll be a walnut. Um, you know, just get a variety. Find something that you like. And I mean, maple is the real go-to because it's a really light wood, and you can color it to just about anything you want. So it's hard to go wrong with that, and it's very common in the period. Anybody use mesquite? Not that I'm aware of. I've never seen a mesquite muzzleloader. That'd be cool to build a skeet gun out of mesquite wood it'd be mesquite mesquite yeah. gun that's mesquite gun mm -hmm. aaron 
Aaron. <laughs> What's the juice on that new Kilber Fowler? He said it's supposed to be this year, so we're waiting. He had a little tease. I don't know if if many people caught it or not. Um, his last Q and A video, the Fowler was hanging there next to him, so we got to see the the uh, the side plate uh, panel. Uh, the barrel profile, so it is an octagon to round barrel with a wedding band in there. Oh, that would hurt. Well, I'm a dad now. I can make. I was going to say, yeah, we we are both fathers, so yeah, yeah. We, we're all we're... around to make dad. <laughs> so uh, if you look at Kibler's latest videos, Q and A video, it's hanging there. Um, we don't see the lock side, which I think was very intentional, but it's that gray stock next to him. So I don't know. Um, he's pretty tight-lipped about why it's gray. I think it's some kind of uh, laser scanning that he does, but I don't know. But it's it's hanging there. So uh, the master exists. It was made by Eric Van Oswich, according to my understanding of it. So it's going to look nice. It's going to be beautiful. But uh, it's supposed to be this year. But nothing. He's been Kibler's been pretty tight-lipped about it. Yeah. If you did alcoholic, go ahead. Oh, walnut stocks are. Great. And if you use the trick like I did on my Great Plains rifle, you can fake curl and fiddle back to it. How'd you do that? I'm always curious about people's techniques on that. Yeah, fake striping or faux striping, that was even done in the period. That was not an yeah. uncommon thing. No. I mean, not, not just on gun stocks. It was done on furniture, on furniture. doors, and yeah. just all kind of stuff. It was a way for somebody to afford that fancy wood. That fancy wood that couldn't. They got a lot of interesting reactions to. Um, I did uh, my invest arms hawking with that. Um, I painted the lines on with ink, like Mitch Yates talked about. And a lot of pe people either liked it or, or didn't like it, which <laughs> was kind of fun to see. Why are wrapping a torch? Okay. Okay. Gary Morgan. Okay. Oh, I remember that. that one now, Gary. Okay. I'm putting that together now. What's the smallest bore for a fowler? Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen some, some pretty small ones. I mean, but if you're talking about a true fowler for shooting flying fowl, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, me personally, I think a 55 caliber would be pretty slick. What would a... What would a 20 gauge mic out to in caliber? 62. 62. I don't see. Yeah, I, 54 would be roughly 28. 28, okay. Yeah, I don't see. I don't, I don't see a whole lot of those personally, I guess. But I could just not be looking in the right place. Yeah, no, they're 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 not very common at all, but it would it would be very neat because basically you're shooting a choke 20 gauge you could shoot the same loads but then you could still shoot a 530 round ball out of it gotcha i have a beaver lodge flintlock made by ted fellows with folks drive it oh i thought that's nice uh nb herman says not to be a rock in your shoe but when will the youth gun maker scholarship winner be announced it'll be announced on our facebook page on february the first february first are you gonna go live with that jason no, we'll just post it. I'll, I will. Uh, uh, I'll reach out to the recipient, let them know, and then uh, then we'll post it on Facebook, and then it'll be in the 
uh, March, April issue of the magazine. Yeah, you have a good night too, Tyler. Yeah, thank you, Tyler, for talking with us. Really appreciate it. Oh, Hawk and Horse asks, are you going to be doing more of these live streams? This is cool. I think so. I yes, think absolutely. I think we should try some more. Yeah, we've, we've been intending to do this for actually a couple of months. Just, <laughs> we both, I'll say me, I, I, my schedule has been pretty All hectic. Right. But uh, yeah, we will That's definitely it. be doing more of these. Yeah. yeah, this is a lot of fun. Well, cool. I think we can close it out there, Jason. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, what a great night. night. Thanks for everybody who came in, asked questions, kept watching. We'll uh, we'll try to maybe think of some specific topics or we can keep taking questions or come in with something. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll announce it. We do another one uh, on both of our Instagrams and keep you posted. Thank you all so much. All right. Have a good night, everyone. Enjoy it, Ethan. Take care, brother. See you, man. Bye.